Well, we want to do something very quickly today. We want to honor three board members that have been added to our church. Uh, Paul commissions that we set up elders in every city. And when you're an independent church, it's very important to have accountability and places, um, things in place for wackadoodle pastors. And uh, we just are so thrilled with our board. We have an amazing board. And these are people that are unsung heroes. They don't get any props. In fact, these are the kind of people who don't even like us doing what we're going to do to them today. I'd like the three new board members and their spouses to come forward, uh, Tony and Sophia, Randy and Lene, and Tim and Tammy, if you would come forward. Uh, these men are the three that we've added in this season of time, and this is a lifetime commitment until they want to quit. So they're the kind of guys that'll hang in there and, and uh, have been through heaven and hell with the church. And you know, these aren't perfect people, they'll be the first to tell you that. But because of their mistakes, they've gained a wisdom that we need. Amen? All things work together for good. And I'd like the rest of the board members and spouses to come up. We're going to pray over these three and ask God to bless us in wisdom. We've got some board members that are out, but if you're here on the board, come forward, please. Susie. Pastor Bert and Pat, would you add to our numbers here? Would you be willing to just add your prayers if you want to just reach forward and extend your hand for us? Just uh, get in front or behind some of them and lay your hands on them. Let's pray over these. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We know that government is a spiritual thing in the scriptures. It's one of the gifts of administration and governance. <clears throat> and of the increase of your government and peace, there will be no end. So, Father, we thank you that we could be a church of Jesus Christ, holding open hands to what you want to do for us as a church. Father, I commission these men and women today, Father, to ask you in the days ahead, what would you like your church to look like? And give us the wisdom, Father, to move into new ground and into new areas of our life as a church, Father, that we will have wisdom and guidance to know, Father, what you want our church to look like, that we will not create it after our own image, Father, as pastors or elders or board members, but, Father, we will allow you to create your church after your own image. And we will give you the glory and the honor and the praise. We thank you for the selfless uh, stepping forward of these, Father, who will come in and be unsung heroes and servants for Jesus. And we thank you for them in your precious name. And everybody said amen, amen and amen. Bless you in the name of the Lord. Can we give them a hand this morning? Well, good morning. If we have not yet met, my name is Tony, and I am one of the pastors here at Legacy. And um, over the last couple of weeks, we have been addressing uh, what we as a pastoral staff um, team have felt is uh, kind of a mandate from God for this year and where we're headed and where we're going. And uh, we've, we're on a new series that we've entitled, This Is Us. Um, if you've watched the show or if you live in a cave, you haven't watched the show, um, that was a terrible joke. Uh, we're, we're addressing what makes us who we are, what we uh, believe God is asking us to do. And um, first week, Pastor Ralph addressed this idea of thinking big with open hands. Uh, last week, Pastor Susie addressed this idea of going deep into God's word. And, and today, I am going to present what I feel is this idea of creating room or, or, or making 
room. And so if you haven't been here the last few uh, weeks, what we, what we believe God has spoken to Legacy through Isaiah 54 is this idea that we are to think big with open hands in regards to our next season. We are to be rooted and understand what it is that God's word says to us and what that means and how that affects our daily life. And today we're going to talk about what it looks like to make room for new people. And this is a subject that I'm extremely passionate about because I believe that making room for new people has more to do with our hearts than it has to do with what we see around us. You may have been here the last couple of weeks and you may have heard we're going to address this idea of make room for new people. And so you probably thought we're going to get into a new building campaign. Or I'm going to hear a message on how I need to give up my seat in church or maybe to get ready to, to give up my parking spot in church. And though those things may be true, I'm here to present to you today that the idea of making room for new people starts in our hearts. In fact, Jesus himself teaches us that a lot of these things that though we might see as natural things actually begin as a matter of of our heart. And so we find ourselves in Luke 15 today, which is the scripture I'm going to base my message off of. And Jesus himself actually finds himself in, in a bit of a predicament because he's now being questioned and criticized. And quite frankly, uh, he's actually being hated by the very people that choose to call themselves his followers for being attractive and attracted to those that are outcasts to those that are hurt, to those that are broken, even to those that, dare I say, are actually notorious. And he's asked, Jesus, why do you choose to hang out with these sort of people? Why do you choose to, to make uh, them valuable? Why do you choose to place value in them? And so he responds with a very interesting way. He responds with three parables back to back. And so today we find ourselves in Luke 15, verse 11 through 31. Hang with me. It's a bit of a long scripture, but how many of you guys know that it's better to hear God's word than to hear Tony's word over and over again? We find ourselves in the third of the three parables, and it says this. To illustrate this point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want, to sh I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his two sons. A few days later, the younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted, say with me, wasted. He wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods that he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare, yet here I am dying of hunger, and I will go home to my father, and I will say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me even as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. And filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. He embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to, and his son 
said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. And if we were to add Tony's version of this, it would say, but the father completely ignoring this speech, he says to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with the feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost and he is now found. And so the party began. And uh, if you know Jesus, you know he's a party God. If you know Jesus, he actually knows how to celebrate and it's all right to smile in church. It's all right to have a good time in church. So then the the camera pans over to kind of this different scene. And it says, meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. Think about it. He's drenched in sweat. He's working the fields. When he returned home, he hears music. <laughs> they were in a different region of the world, so it was more like... Had you met Sophia and I almost 11 years ago, you would have been a part of the biggest, fattest Greek, Hispanic wedding you've. I heard the party kept going seven hours after we left. Seven, af- seven hours after that reception, we were doing our own partying. <clears throat> we were married. It's all right. It's all right to smile in church. Some of you guys are squirming, and I'm telling you, Jesus is a party. Jesus, it's all right to smile in church. So check this out. He hears the music and the dancing in the house. Back to the story. And he asked one of the servants, what was going on? And it says, your brother's back. He was, he was, he, he was told by the servant. And your father has killed a fattened calf. We're celebrating because he's safe. The other brother was angry and he wouldn't go in and his father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money and check this out on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, You've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead. He has now come back to life. He was lost and now he is found. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you because your word is alive and active and it's able to penetrate even our hardest of hearts, God. I thank you, God, because your word has has been speaking to us for thousands of years and it'll continue to speak to us. Pray that your spirit would allow us to take these words and make them a reality in our lives. Pray for a greater, an even greater revelation of who you are in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, in about three months, I'll be turning uh, the very uh, old age of 31. I will, I'll be turning 31 in just a few months. And um, do you want to know how you can tell that, that you're getting old? Um, You, you might be wondering why this stool's here, and, and, and I, might, I might sit down, and you might be wondering why I'm kind of limping a little bit, and that's the answer to the question is, how, how do you know you're getting old? You're, you know you're getting old because you go out and, and, and you play soccer with the church soccer league, 
and you haven't ran in about a year or a year and a half or much less have you done anything to fight the dad bod, and you go out guns blazing and you pull a hamstring. And um, that's not how you know you're getting old. How you know you're getting old is that you think that you're going to get better seven days later and you go back out. And now, four weeks later, you're limping around church and you've got a wad of muscle that's just kind of hanging there and you're fearing for the medical bill that's about to come when you see the doctor next week because your entire back of your leg is back in blue because you are no longer a 17-year-old kid that can just get back out there. Uh, you know you know you're getting old when a simple pickup game becomes literally a, a hazard to your health and your finances, you know? <laughs> Um, another way that, that you know you're getting old, at, at least for me, is that the things that I used to hate when I was young, I now I'm beginning to embrace them and love them. It's the weirdest thing. I don't, if you haven't started to get old yet, uh, just you, you wait and see. But I remember my dad was always all about getting our brains going. He always, you know, we'd be driving in the car and he'd see a license plate and he goes, now I want you to come up with an equation for that. And I'm like, Dad, I went to Bible college. There's no math classes there. Why, why do you want me to, you know? And uh, now, uh, and one of the things he used to always have us do was, how many of you guys remember spot the difference pictures? Remember when you've got one photo on one side and the other on the other side, and you're supposed to spot the difference? I used to hate those things when I was a kid. Now I find myself sitting on Instagram following spot the pictures, you know, spot the difference pictures. And I, and, and I absolutely love it. And that, that's how you know you're getting old. When, when the things that you used to hate uh, are now the things you now fully embrace. And, and I just love this spot the, the difference pictures. I'm kind of nerdy that way. And, and check this out. I, I usually end my thought with, and this is good for my brain. You know, that's when you know you're getting old. When you're like, okay, now I've got to exercise my brain more and more. <laughs> what, what does this have to do? with what we're talking about today. I have three stories for you. Jesus had three stories for us. And I would wonder if you and I can spot the difference between these three stories. The first story that Jesus presents prior to the story that we read about these two brothers is about a lost sheep and about a shepherd that runs out and goes out searching for the sheep and finds it. The next story that Jesus uh, says and tells as a response to why are you hanging out with notorious people? Why are you hanging out with the outcasts? Why are you hanging out with the sinners? Why are you hanging out with those kind of people? Jesus responds with the second story that talks about a woman that lost the coin. And it was so precious to her that she's literally flipping every couch, couch cushion in her, in her house, uh, looking inside of every vacuum cleaner to find said lost coin. She goes out and searches for it. But the, the third story, I, I'd like to ask you a question. Who went out searching for this son? And the truth is no one. No one went out searching for the son. The brother didn't leave the comfort of the father's house to go and search for his brother. The father didn't go out of the land and go and look for his son. In fact, no one went out to look for the son. And I don't know if you've read these stories before, and, and if you don't believe me, you're more than welcome to go back to your own Bible and, and read these stories and, and look at the very stark differences between these three stories that Jesus tells as a response to why are you hanging out with those kind of people? 
And Jesus, almost as if Jesus lived an intentional life, tells three stories with the third one missing a part. Who goes out to search for this brother? And so the truth is there was no search party. There was no search party that was put together. There was no wanted posters or lost posters placed around town. No one went out to the bar looking for for good old Billy or whatever his name was. No one went looking for him. Yet in the two previous stories, we see that when the sheep was lost, the shepherd goes out to look for him. When the coin was lost, the woman goes out to look for him. It's almost as if Jesus wants to point out the difference. And you may be asking today, what does this have anything to do with making room for new people? The thing is, I believe Jesus drives home our first point today that has to do with our heart. And he says, in other words, you got to remember that his audience were churched people, that his audience was also filled of non-churched people. And he basically says to them, do you guys see the difference in this story? And I'm asking you, and he probably knew there were people in that audience that had brothers that had been lost that no one had gone out to search for. And Jesus asks you today, in order to make room in your hearts, making room means we search for the lost. Making room in our hearts means we search actively for the lost. The truth is, Sometimes when we read this story, we forget that prior to this story, Jesus is confronted with yet another question. I don't know about you, but if I'm Jesus, I would probably get tired of answering the same question over and over again. How many parents out there would agree with that statement? How many times do I have to answer this question for you? You As my 10-year-old asks me how to tie his shoe for the thousandth time. Prior to the story, there's another instance where Jesus is yet again asked literally the exact same question or kind of the same idea. All right, Jesus, I'm going to kind of corner you here. I'm going to ask you, well, you've got all these great things that you teach us. These are all these things in your law that we should do. But out of all those things, what's the greatest thing? And we see in Luke 10.25 that he's asked, out of all of these things, what is the greatest thing? And he responds, you guys probably know this if you've read your Bible at any point. You probably know, he says, love God above all things. And then he says, love your neighbor. And then he goes on to explain who our neighbor is. And and in fact, we're actually going to allude to that here in a few weeks when Pastor Ralph addresses our upcoming series that talks about how to be a neighbor. And let me just give you a quick plug. You don't want to miss it because Mr. Rogers may or may not make an appearance on those Sundays. Just saying. There might be red cardigans showing up here. (laughs) And if you don't know who Mr. Rogers is, go to YouTube this week and go check him out. And so he's asked this, and and he responds with love God and love your neighbor. And he goes on literally to explain one of the most prolific stories, and he uses the most despised people group by the Jewish people in that day and age, which was a Samaritan. And in this, we hear... God's second point to legacy today, what does it mean to open up 
space, to create space, to make room in our hearts for new people. And I'm telling you, it means loving everyone at all times. You see, some of us believe this philosophically. Shoot, I, there's even books on it that we love to talk about and even quote, or, or there's even uh, ideas out there of loving, but I would venture to say, and please forgive me if you come out of here offended by what I'm about to say, but I would venture to say that there are some of us in this room that if we are honest with ourselves, we love with filters, We love with filters. We don't actually love all people at all times. You see, I would venture to say, take it a step further, that as we read the story of this lost son, we think all of those characters are crazy except for the older brother. In fact, I would venture to say, if you're anything like me, you've read your Bible and you've read this part where the older brother goes, I'm not going into the party. I'm out here sweating my, you know what off to work for you. And you're gonna throw this son of yours who's squandered everything, a, 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 a party. And I'm reading and I'm going, that's right. Yeah, somebody's gotta teach this young boy a lesson. I mean, come on, where's the justice in this? Because the truth is, if we're honest with ourselves, if we're anything like good old Pastor Tony up here, we love people with filters at times. I believe making room for new people means we love with an unfiltered heart. An unfiltered heart is this. Let me check it out. I'll rattle it off for you. And I know these are going to be some hot topics for this day and age. But I believe Jesus came to address hot topics in his day and age. And I believe he's still addressing hot topics today. He doesn't shy away from hot topics. He embraces those hot topics and he embraces those with love. And check this out. So in love, I believe an unfiltered heart means we see beyond skin color. It means we see beyond political differences. I'm going to say it one more time. It means we see beyond political differences. It says, it it means that we see beyond the offensive. It means we see beyond those things that make us squirm. Those things that we go, is this really supposed to be happening in church? Uh, An unfiltered love goes beyond the uncomfortable. There I say, an unfiltered love even goes beyond those that are openly opposed to us. An unfiltered way of loving people means I do not see you based on your skin color based on your financial deficit or greatness, based on whether or not you voted for him or her or whoever it is that you identify as. It means that even though you are openly opposed to me, I still love you. An unfiltered love goes beyond these four walls. An unfiltered love goes beyond the comfort of our cubicles. It goes beyond the comfort of our workplaces. An unfiltered love looks at this son who has literally thrown all his life away and yet still embraces him when he chooses to come home. I would venture to say 
that we may have all the intentions of our heart to make room for new people. But unless our love is the kind of love that searches for the lost, that love is potentially fraudulent. I knew and I was prepared that I wasn't going to get a lot of smiles. That's why I got you smiling at the beginning of this sermon. And that's all right with me. I wasn't smiling when God revealed this very idea to my heart. You see, the response that this brother had, if we're honest, is our default response as human beings. In fact, I would say if I'm in the crowd and I'm one of those religious leaders, I'm going, that's right. Finally, somebody's sensible in this story. I mean, what kind of stupid dad goes, yeah, sure, I'm not even dead yet, but here's your half of your inheritance. What kind of dumb kid goes, yeah, sure, I'll go spend it in my, in my lust and, 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 and very uh, quick kind of uh, moments of great feelings that just dissipate within seconds. And then the young, older brother goes, oh, yeah, no, I'm not going there, I'm not it's not even my favorite DJ that's playing at that party, so I'm not going. Were they even DJs back then? I don't know. You know, the brother's response actually reminds me of an age-old question. And if you and I were to go back to the book of Genesis in chapter 7, if we had more time, if I was preaching for two hours, we'd read the whole thing. But I'm only going to preach for an hour and 59 minutes. So... Genesis 7 says this, and it talks about the first two brothers that ever existed in the Bible. And check this correlation out, please. We're looking at Luke, a story of two brothers. Now we're going to go back to the book of Genesis, to the very first two brothers recorded in the Bible, Cain and Abel. And God asks Cain, the older brother, a question. He says, where's your brother? And Cain responds, you, he, he, you do you, I do me, and am I a sitter? Am I my brother's keeper? And God responds then with what he's responding to you and I today and what he's been responding since he began to do his ministry. And it is with a resounding and hear me legacy church and track with me. Yes, in fact, we are our brother's keepers. We are responsible to each other. We are responsible for our fellow men and women. We are responsible for those sons and daughters that have ran astray. We are responsible for that soul that has no hope, for that marriage that is broken, for that sick child who has no hope, for that man who is tied up in his bound and broken life. We are responsible for our brother. And God asks the same question he asked to Cain to us today, and he likens it to these two brothers, and it's almost as if this older brother, whose brother had squandered everything, gets asked, are you his keeper? And his response, just like you and I, if we're honest sometimes, is, you do you, I do me. We are... We're responsible for loving the marginalized. We're responsible for loving the downright outcast. 
We are responsible for loving the hurting and the hungry and those that are hopeless. All right, all right, okay, okay. All right, I get it, Tony, you're getting emotional. Yeah, we get it. You've got an evangelistic spirit. I, I get it. So what are you trying to say here, Tony? What, what are you trying to say? You think the story should have played out differently? And I would say yes. I think the older brother should have gone after the younger brother. I think Jesus is pointing us to that very thought. And I would submit to us today, I'm not rewriting the Bible here. I would submit that Jesus in that day and age knew who he was talking to and knew that there was a stark difference between the first two stories. And I wonder if he was showing us the exact same thing then that he is today. Here's the thing. I believe this story actually leaves us craving for that older brother that would go out searching for us. I believe the very question, the very empty space that Jesus leaves in this story has to do with us craving the very brother that would say, you know what, I would leave the comfort of my father's house to go and find you, brother. I would leave the faithfulness of my father to to, to go and search for you. And see, like Jesus loves to do, he loves to bring us to the end of ourselves where we realize we cannot do it on our own so that that is where he can begin. And I believe like any other story that Jesus told, he was pointing to himself. You see, I believe Jesus was saying, you know, you know that brother that you wish would have run after him? Th- that's me. Jesus is saying, I'm that older brother. In fact, let's correlate it to another story. Jesus is actually mentioned in the Bible multiple times as the firstborn of many nations. Firstborn, older brother. Think about that. Jesus is the older brother that would chase after us, that would go searching for us, even though we've squandered it all. You see, I believe, and track with me here, track with me here. Jesus came to completely transform and, 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 and revitalize the way that culture thought and addressed those that were broken and rejected. You see, Jesus came not for those that believe they're already healed, but for those that recognize that they're sick and in need of a doctor. Well, Jesus is physically gone from this earth but he has now asked his church, you and I, not this church building, you and I, to be even more, even greater things, to do even greater things, the Bible says, than he did. So check this out. Today, we're going to correlate today's culture over to the culture that Jesus is speaking to. Jesus is speaking, speaking to a culture that marginalized women, that didn't value women that marginalized children. There's a story where he actually tells people, stop rejecting children, let them come to me. He, is, he, he, he comes into the midst of a, of a culture that completely doesn't place value in those that are sick. Oh, you've got leprosy, you're untouchable. Stay away from me, go get quarantined. Don't you dare touch me with those cooties. And it sounds a little bit like our culture today. 
where the value of children's lives is like what? Come on. Where, where the value of, well, I can sell my body to make ends meet, or I can sell my children because, uh, or, or I can literally just buy and sell and trade humans. Or where, where women don't have a, a rightful place, where now they feel like they've got to rise up and fight against something. Come on. Where we look past those families that are, are, are sitting there dealing with, with brokenness and, 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 and their health is at a decline. And, well, you're old now, so you're expected to be sick, so no one really cares about you. And Jesus steps right smack dab in the middle of that culture, and he says, listen up. Listen up. I am calling those that would say that they follow me. That we are to go out of our way to care for those that are overlooked. I'm telling you, making room begins in our heart. We're not talking about a building expansion, which eventually we'll get there. We're not talking about just saying goodbye to the seat you've sat in for the last six months or six years or 60 years, which eventually we'll get there. We're talking about have we prepared room in our hearts? Legacy Church, I'm talking to those of you, if you're visiting here today, just know that this is the kind of church that you're about to step into. For those, I'm talking to the majority of those of you that have been here, that would say, this is my home. I'm saying, are you and I willing to make room in our hearts, understanding that this is what it takes? Understanding that it means that we go out of our way. Say with me, out of my way. You see, out of your way means there's an intentionality behind it. It's not a happenstance. It's not a, well, if it works out. It's not a, well, you do good, so you get good. No, Jesus came to shatter that. You do bad, and you still get good. What? What, what, are, you, what are you saying, Jesus? You're blurring all the lines, and Jesus is saying, yes, I'm blurring the lines. Just how 2,000 years ago, I came to reach those women that were unvaluable to those people, to those children that were, had no value to those people, to those that were sick, those that were outcasted, those that were rejected, those that were notorious, those that were cheaters, liars, backstabbers, murderers, prostitutes, and the list goes on. He says, just how I came 2,000 years ago to blur those lines, I'm asking you, church, to open your hearts to those people. And if we're honest with ourselves, lastly, we look at what it's going to take. Oh, man, and Lord, help me. It's going to mean we're not the fixers. It means we're those that provide an environment. What did the father do when the son came back home? Sit down, son. We're going to talk about all those women you've been sleeping with. We're going to address the lust in your heart. We're going to address the fact that you don't know how to handle your finances, that you didn't give to God first before you went out and squandered it. We're going to talk about how you gave us a bad name. We're going to talk about how you, is that what happened? The father created an environment of celebration for the son. Jesus is saying to you and I, Legacy Church, 
to make room in our hearts for new people. We are not the fixers. We are the environment creators. And I want you to get that deep down in your heart. It doesn't mean that we ignore the pain. In fact, it means we create a space for that pain to be healed in. But the fact is, as a church, as Christians, we've clothed ourselves as those that are supposed to fix people. And I'm here to tell you today that is not your job. I'm here to free you from that thought that that is not your job. It is not our job to fix people. It is our job to provide an environment where they can ask the questions, where they can experience healing, where they can experience restoration, where they can experience their broken heart being mended, and where they can experience a new hope, a new future, a new way of thinking and guess what the reasonable response will be to that? It'll be a transformed and changed life. The father doesn't just start drilling him with questions. <laughs> think about that. I mean, if I'm the dad, man, I, I think about my firstborn, almost 10 years old. It's crazy to think about that. You know, he's, he's like now teaching me about culture. How many of you parents know, like, preteens, teens are now, like, you know, something about, like, an orange orange justice dance or something like that, Fort, Fortnite and all these kind of things, right? Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. You should be in touch with culture. <laughs> Go get yourself a 10-year-old. <laughs> and I think about this 10-year-old, and I, and I go, what would happen if I gave him, I mean, let's put ourselves, let, let's take these stories, and let's make them tangible and real in our lives today. And, and let, let's see what would you feel like as a father if you give, you've worked hard all your life. I mean, you've, you've toiled your whole life. You give your son his inheritance early and he comes back and he has shamed your family. I mean, I'm sitting my son down and I'm going, Gabe, where's that money? I mean, I'm putting names like Pastor Susie gave a powerful word last week. And one of the most impactful things for me out of that sermon was this idea of putting my name to that scripture. And I'm going, Gabe, to my son, Gabe, sit down. Let's talk about this money that you threw away on prostitutes. Let, let's, the father doesn't do that. And I'm asking you, church, as I call the band up, because if they don't come up, I'll never end. I'm asking you, when you, I'm talking to believers here. I'm talking to those that have put their faith in Jesus. Listen to me, and, and, and please, don't, don't let these last five minutes not be important. Because if, if I've said anything, the next five minutes are probably the most important things that I've said to you this morning. As a believer, when you came to Jesus broken, when your marriage was on the rocks, when you were healed, or maybe you didn't experience a crazy brokenness, but you've been saved from that lifestyle because maybe your parents have passed on a generational blessing and now you get to enjoy a life that doesn't know that pain, that doesn't know that struggle, that doesn't know, and it's by the grace of God. When you came to Jesus... And you experienced a party. 
and you experienced a new life. Jesus is asking us this very thing. What we've received freely, we are to also give freely of. I'm just going to take this shirt off really quickly to show you something. The boy comes home. He probably smelt like pre-bacon poop. I'm talking about the real bacon, not turkey bacon. <laughs> the boy comes home, <clears throat> and please, I'm not trying to be crude or gross, but think about this. The smell of immoral sex over and over again. The smell of hanging out with pigs. The shame that he had brought upon the family. The expectations that this father had of this son shattered by his stupidity. And the father chooses to do this. He goes, I'm going to give you the best clothes, by the way, guys, check this out. It's a size small. That's awesome. <laughs> I think it was in like the, you know, the, the, the rack that like has deep, you know, uh, defective, faulty. Thank you. The, the faulty rack. It's supposed to be a large. Or maybe it's a small in women's. I don't know. <laughs> the father goes, and I'm just going to use Jeff here as an example. And he, 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 go ahead and stand up. Jeff, Jeff is, is stinky. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff has made all the mistakes. He's, he's blown all his money on, on, on drugs, women. He's now just been starving, and what he has to do is eat pig food. And the father goes, all right, band, let's start to play. And it starts to play, no, not right now, but the, the band starts to play, throws a party, and he does one of the most beautiful gestures, check this out, he clothes him in something differently. And obviously it's going to be way too small on Jeff. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. And thankfully he's not a fat guy in a little suit. Why does that look better on Jeff than it looks on me? <laughs> I'm like sucking it in the entire time, you know. And the father does what he's asking you and I to do. And that is when those people come in broken and they come in reeking of sin and, and they have no hope and they're upset with church or they've been offended by church and, and they don't look like us, they don't dress like us, their skin color might be different, I don't know. God's asking us to clothe these people in honor, to clothe them in love, to clothe them in grace, to clothe them in hope, to clothe them in the redemption that can only come from a loving father that says, I'll take you back. And the reason why this just hits home for me is because I have been that son. 
I've been that son that has squandered it. I've been that son that has, that has made those mistakes. And when I came to the Father, and when I, when I was restored into the family of God, I was not only faced with a good father, but I was surrounded by a loving group of people that embraced me for who I was. You see, your past may, defi- may explain you, but it doesn't have to define you. You see, your past may explain these scars, these wounds. They may explain what took place, but they don't have to define you. And our message of hope has to be that one filled with love that says to all those outside of these four walls, we have not only made room for you here. Not only have we expanded our building, not only have we built more parking lots, not only have we removed reserve signs from seats, but in our hearts, we're ready, we're wide open, we're saying we're ready to reclothe you in honor and love and grace and humility and the redemption that only comes from a loving God like Jesus. And so Jesus is saying to Legacy Church today, are we willing to be the older brother that does say, I am my brother's keeper? And now you can start playing because otherwise I won't end for sure. You might be here today and you might be saying, you know, this Jesus sounds like a pretty stand-up guy, but I don't know him. And maybe your step today is making room for Jesus himself in your heart. Maybe you're here today and you are that son, that daughter. And your step might just be, I'm going to make room for, for Jesus. I'm here to tell you that the very thing you just saw with Jeff and I, God is willing to do for you. He's willing to come and clothe you in a new way. He's willing to say, every person that is in me is a new creation. Those things from your past Yeah, they may explain you, but they don't have to define your future or even your present today. Maybe you're that brother that needs to be searched for. And Jesus is here to tell you, I am that brother that will go out and put that search party together to look for you. Maybe you're in this room and you go, well, maybe making room is learning to love everybody at all times. And if I'm honest, I put filters on people while they've hurt me so, while they smell so, while their Facebook tells me that they clearly stand against everything that I stand for in politics. Maybe it's recognizing that there's actually a little bit of both brothers in all of us. Maybe our step today is making room in our hearts by going out and searching for those that have been lost, that are broken, that are outcast and bringing them back home. Jesus is saying, I'll do for you what I can't, what you can't do for yourself. I'll do for you what you can't do for yourself. You can't save yourself. You can't think of the gumption to become that older brother that will search. But Jesus is saying, lean on me, come to me and you'll see how through me, you'll be able to love unfiltered. You'll be able to create that room in your heart. And if you're that person that says, I just want Jesus in my heart, just watch as he continues to work in your life. So would you close your eyes? I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna sing this song. 
And as we're singing this song, I would like this song to become a declaration in your heart, depending on what camp you land on in these three kind of aspects. God, I pray for that person in this room. And if you're that person in this room today that is saying, I, my step today is to make room for Jesus in my heart for the first time, or maybe I'm coming back to him. With every eye closed, I'd like to just have you raise your hand so that I know who I'm praying for. God, I pray for those people, God, today that would say their step is to open up room in their hearts for you. I pray, God, that you would visit them right where they're at and that you would clothe them in a new way. God, that they would experience your love, your grace, your acceptance in a greater way. God, I pray for that person here today that's saying, my step is to love people without filters. I pray, God, that whatever hurt, whatever pain, whatever filter's been there today, you would remove that. You would allow us to love people in an unfiltered fashion. Pray, Lord, for, for those people that are here today that are saying, I need to actually actively go out and search. I need to put together a search party. I need to be attentive. I need to be on the lookout. God, I pray that you would give us your heart for those people that need you in a greater way today. God, and as we sing the song, would you meet us here today? Would you minister to those hearts that need you? We all need you. Those of us that recognize we need you, would you minister to our hearts? And those of us that are taking deeper steps, God, I pray that you would honor those steps and meet us right smack dab in the middle of where we're at in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing this song. And if you need prayer today, our prayer team is going to be located in the back left-hand corner of the church. David Roberts is back there. He's going to wave. So if you need prayer today for any of these topics, feel free to go back there. If not, I'd like to invite you to stand to your feet as we sing this song. And we're going to make this the declaration of our heart today in Jesus' name.
Could we give the Lord a hand this morning? Hallelujah. Every time you hear the word gospel, think of what it means. Wasn't that good news this morning? Aren't you glad no matter how awful I've been, there's somebody that loves me beyond my awful? That's good news. Now you know why 2,000 years ago people were swarming into the kingdom of God. The Bible says the Holy Spirit will convict people of sins. That's not even my job. Yay. Yay. The Bible also says it's the goodness of God that brings men to repentance. Not an angry, vengeful, religious spirit. I love being in this church. Don't you love belonging here? Because you belong. You belong here. No condemnation to those who serve Jesus. You all belong here. Welcome home. If you're here for the first time, I just want to say, welcome home. Amen. I can't wait to see what God clothes you in in the days ahead. Oh, uh, in Jesus' name, we dismiss you to go celebrate for Jesus and talk to your neighbors, your friends. Tell them about the good news. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord.